All right, guys, welcome back to the Wild Photographer Podcast. Today I'm talking about something, well, I say this a lot, but this is truly one of the most important things to great photography. Let's talk about focus. So as I said, this is truly one of the most important things in photography. Uh, it is the essence of photography. If you don't have something in focus, is it really a photo? Yes, you can get into some of the impressionist avant-garde stuff that's pretty interesting with wildly shallow depth of field, etc., etc. But frankly, when it comes to focus, what you have in focus is the essence of your photo. It's what you look at first when you review your photo. It's what your viewers look at first. It's the thing that makes the photos shine. So what we try to do is really think about focus, think about how it impacts the overall scene, what else might be in the scene, your subject, your background, your foreground, et cetera, et cetera. Focus is really, really important. So this whole podcast is dedicated to the different types of focus, considerations you wanna make when you're photographing people, wildlife, landscapes, travel, you name it, and ultimately how to get the best photo with proper focus thinking. The other important thing about focus is that you really can't fudge it in Photoshop. There's not much you can do. When we talk about lighting and contrast and saturation and all sorts of stuff like that, we, we have a lot of ability to, to make do with what we have, to make lemonade with our photo, turn lemons into lemonade. If, if your shot is out of focus or the thing that you're trying to showcase in your photo is out of focus, there's very little you can do in a big way in Photoshop. Yes, you can do minute focus adjusting. You can kind of sharpen your shot a little bit here and there, but in general, if it's out of focus, grossly out of focus, you're kind of dead in the water. So nailing the focus, again, very, very important. Now, I'm not gonna be really talking about the difference between manual and fo uh, sorry, manual focus and autofocus necessarily, we're gonna focus. <laughs> we're gonna focus on the different techniques for autofocus. I think it's the best way to go. Yeah, if I'm doing night photography, I might switch to manual focus. But the the autofocus today is so darn good in these cameras and lenses. I think it's the way to go. But there are different ways to do it and different considerations to make as you are focusing and choosing the type of autofocus your camera is giving to you. So first things first, let's talk about how your camera does autofocus. Um, we're getting to the nitty gritty here, but I think that. It's one of the most important things to help when you're not getting focused, when you're, when you're struggling to focus on that little bird in the brush, when you're focusing on a dark subject in a dark scene. Uh, there are times when you're autofocused, you, you can tell your camera as you're depressing the shutter, it's just going in and out, in and out. It's, it's trying to focus, but just not locking on. Generally, the reason is, is because camera's autofocus relies on contrast. Uh, let me repeat that. Your autofocus, with the little light beams it sends out, is relying on contrast. So the biggest tip I can give you when you're not achieving focus, meaning your camera's not locking on focus, is find some part of that animal or that person or that landscape that is highly contrast. Uh, when I say that, what I mean is it has a lot of light lights and a lot of dark darks. So if I'm trying to photograph uh, a tree, let's say it's a uniform, let's just say it's a spruce tree, like a Christmas tree looking thing. It's a pretty uniform green, right? The needles are small. Maybe I'm focusing um, on the middle of the tree and I'm standing kind of far away from it such that in my own field of view, in my own vision, it's a pretty uniform color of green. The camera's just not working. What I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna find a part of that tree that is either especially dark and light, meaning maybe the trunk or maybe where the, the needles intersect or interact with the sky itself, maybe a gray sky, a white sky, a blue sky, because I'm looking for that contrast. The needles are dark green, the sky is bright. The camera is gonna pick up on that focus significantly better. If you're, if you're struggling with it, find that contrasting point. 
Another great example is let's say you're photographing in the evening or at night. Let's say you're on a wildlife safari in Africa and you're trying to photograph a hippo that's emerging from the water at dusk. Uh, hippos are kind of dark gray. Dusk illuminates the landscape with a dark gray. You might have a more uniform color than you think is actually happening in your scene. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to focus on the margin of that hippo to just desperately try to lock focus. Um, if I'm trying to focus in the middle of the, the hippo, it's this uniform dark gray color, your camera's probably gonna struggle. You may have actually had this happen to you before. It doesn't have to be a hippo, it could be a little mockingbird in a tree, it could be even a uniform red bird. It doesn't necessarily have to be something dark and gray, it's just when you have a very uniform scene with very little contrast, your camera may struggle. We often pay a lot of money for the best lenses and the best cameras that have better autofocusing mechanisms. They're gonna do better, plain and simple. They're gonna do better, but they may still struggle in the most extreme of situations. If you've ever been photographing at night or in dark conditions, let's say it's astrophotography, let's say it's aurora photography, and you have this beautiful subject in your foreground. You, you have this nice stand of spruce trees or pine trees or some sort of really nice shape, and you're basically just settling with a silhouette. You're, you're okay with these trees being a silhouette because it's dark to begin with. You have no light on your trees. You're just accepting the fact that they are this kind of cutout of the landscape. You might be trying to autofocus and the camera does that, that zoom in, zoom, zoom out. Like the lens is constantly trying to adjust. It never locks focus. You never get that little trigger in your camera's screen that says, yes, focus is locked. Um, that's a really, really common occurrence. What I'm going to do to solve that is I'm going to look for that contrast. The best contrast in those types of scenes, in, in nightscapes or in dusk, very uh, late dusk conditions, is I'm going to focus on the very tips of those trees that meet the horizon or meet the sky. Even though the sky might be dark, your trees are probably darker. When your camera actually locks on to that little zone between the tree and the sky, you're going to achieve autofocus almost each and every time. Look for contrast. I'll say it a 55th time. <laughs> when you're struggling with your autofocus, look for contrast. Okay, so now that we've covered how autofocus works, let's talk about the different autofocus settings. I'm looking at my Canon 5D4 here, and there are about six or seven different autofocus settings. They basically pertain to what part of the screen the camera's autofocus will use as viable autofocus points. Um, I'm gonna say it right now, I don't use any of these fancy settings. I don't use the box, I don't use the full screen, I don't use the intelligent autofocus connect mechanism, blah, blah, blah. 99% of the time, I'll, I'll tell you what the exception is in a second, but 99% of the time, I'm putting my camera on the smallest autofocus point in the dead middle of my screen. So depending on your camera, you might have nine autofocus zones, you might have uh, 99 autofocus zones. The bigger, the fancier the camera, the more autofocus zones they have. I'm gonna whittle it down to that very, very dead middle autofocus zone in a pretty specific area. Why such a specific area? Well, oftentimes I'm photographing wildlife and landscapes and they might be in the brush, they might be in a tree. And getting back to that, that misappropriation of autofocus, when autofocus doesn't work for you, if I have that very, very specific precise zone, I can focus right on that animal's head, right on the contrast if I'm getting you know, sketchy autofocus, and not focus on a square that involves leaves and brush and a little bird all at once. Your camera is going to constantly struggle in autofocus in those scenarios. So you know, look in your camera, look in the autofocus setting menus. If you're trying to be like me, um, you're going to want to set your autofocus zone in the dead middle of your frame. 
And I'll explain why I think that's really helpful next. But first I wanna go back to that 1% of the time that I'm not focusing on the middle of the screen. This is generally when I hand my camera off to someone. Uh, I might wanna get a photograph of myself or my group. And that person may, may, they may be a photographer, they may not be, but they're probably not used to that center focus point. And as a result, they may not direct it in the right area. They may direct it to the landscape behind or the tree. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna quickly toggle over to a full autofocus where the camera can entirely choose the focus point for you. I find this actually works pretty well um, because usually when it's in a group setting, I'm photographing people or a group or myself, the cameras are pretty good at figuring out where your body and your head is. Cameras, um, a lot of the technology is made with photographing people in mind. So I find that it works most of the time. More precisely, I find that keeping on that center pointed autofocus doesn't work most of the time when you hand your camera to someone else. So getting back to the reason why I keep my camera on that center pointed autofocus 99% of the time is entirely due to precision. Uh, you really wanna be precise with your autofocus, otherwise you're gonna get essentially the incorrect thing that you focus on, and that, that might actually blow your photo. Let's say seven out of 10 times it doesn't actually result in that poor of a photo, but we wanna be specific when we're choosing focus because with animal photography, people photography, cultural photography, scene photography, landscape photography, even like food photography and architectural photography, where you focus has a big deal, big ramifications on the ultimate quality of the resulting photo. Before we get into the, the technique of where to focus, let me talk to you about my general workflow. So I said the very first thing, uh, you wanna have those autofocus settings in the dead middle of your frame. The next thing, which I would imagine many of you already employ, but if you don't, this can be pretty mind blowing for you. This is a really, really great technique and it's simple. Essentially when I'm focusing, because I'm not letting my camera choose where to focus, I'm choosing it. I'm choosing a thing in the dead middle of the frame each and every time. What I do is, let's say there's an orangutan on the left side of the photo. I'm gonna actually point the dead middle of my frame at that animal, at that subject, whatever it may be, and I'm gonna hold my shutter button down about halfway. Then, that halfway button is gonna lock in the exposure and it's gonna lock in the focus. That gives me the leeway to recompose my shot however I want, because generally I don't wanna put the animal or the person or the flower in the dead middle of my frame. I want it offset a little bit. Um, these are general rules of composition that we'll go into in different episodes. But generally, if I can put that dead middle of the frame on the animal, lock in the focus and recompose the shot, I'm gonna turn out with the exact focus area that I want each and every time. There's almost no guesswork. There's no question as to what the camera's gonna be doing and thinking on my behalf. I hate when cameras think too much for me. I wanna be the one thinking. I wanna be photographing very deliberately. I have that middle autofocus, target the animal, Shutter halfway down, recompose the shot, shutter all the way down, period. That's it. Okay, so this is where we get into maybe some, some new learnings for you guys. Um, general focusing technique for, I'm gonna say animal photography, which covers humans and animals. Uh, and then focusing technique for scene photography. And scene might be landscape, it might be architectural, it might be food, you name it. And then we're gonna wrap up this podcast with general aperture guidelines and how depth of field plays a part in decision making. Let's talk about animal photography, people and wildlife. I'm gonna say just one tip and that's it. Focus on the eye or eyes. <laughs> two tips, if there are two eyes. 
No, seriously though, uh, focusing on the eye is really, really important when photographing people and wildlife. There really is no other technique I even wanna mention at this point because it's so important that if you're in front of a person, if you're in front of an animal and you have, let's say you're 10 feet away from a lion in Botswana's Okavango Delta, uh, and you you can, you know, this lion is gonna be a full frame kind of shot, this lion's face. Where do you focus? Well, you got the ears, you got the mane, you got the nose, you got the, maybe the teeth if it's snarling a little bit. Um, the viewer is gonna connect. The viewer might be you, it might be the person you're selling the photo to, it might be the person you're just showing the photo to. They're gonna connect with that animal in one way, and it's through the eyes. So I can't say that enough. I'll probably say it 10 more times. Focus on the eye, focus on the eye, focus. Now I'm not going to say it 10 more times, but you get the point. So wildlife photography, 100% focus on the eye. People photography, believe it or not, it's the same thing. We're all animals. We're all connecting with another individual. We're all connecting with another soul. Just look next time that you flip through a magazine of cultural photographer, even fashion photography, you're gonna notice that those eyes are always in focus. Now it's fantastic if other stuff is in focus. I'm not saying only the eyes should be in focus, but if the eyes are not in focus, it better be deliberate and you better be doing something really, really artsy or else it's gonna look like a weird photo. You know, if that nose is in focus, but the eyes are not, or the ears are in focus and the eyes are not, um, it's just gonna, it's, do some tests. Do some trials. Photograph uh, your niece, your your mother, your son, your whatever. Find someone on the street and you know give them a beer. Um, <laughs> that might be kind of weird, but nevertheless, try this out. Test your own threshold for how you do this. I think it's really really important. So that is a really simple technique for all animal photography, humans being animals as well. Focus on the eye. It's great if other stuff is in focus, but the eyes absolutely have to be in focus or nine times out of 10, the photo's blown. Scene photography, this is kind of like everything else in photography, whether it's you photographing you know, your lunch plate for an Instagram upload or photographing a beautiful landscape shot of maroon bells in Colorado. Um, there are some general rules. There are more rules for this than for animal photography, so we'll take these one by one. First and foremost, I think the most important thing is even for scene photography and landscape photography, you've gotta pick a subject. Now, the subject may be repeated throughout the scene. Let's say you're taking a photo of a rocky beach. Which rock do you choose is ultimately up to you, but I do really, really think it's important that you pick a single subject that you focus on. For landscape photography, I think that picking a subject, uh, a bush or a rock or something, helps give perspective. It helps you rotate yourself, rotate the composition of your photo around that subject. And I think generally, if your landscape shot doesn't have a subject, you're probably not gonna like the photo as much as if it did have a subject. Now that subject doesn't have to be necessarily right in the foreground. I will advocate that most of the time if you have a foreground subject, it's gonna turn out better, but it doesn't have to be. Sometimes that subject can be very, very far in the distance. It can be that mountain. It can be those aspen trees or the fall foliage in New England. You know, it can be something in the distance, but I implore you that when you're setting up your shot, Pick that subject. That's when your focus of the scene. It's going to give you the psychological tool to understand what you're really paying attention to, what the rest of the composition should revolve around, and ultimately get you a much better shot. Uh, so even for landscape photography, pick a subject, usually in the foreground, but even if in the background, that's fine. Uh, for architectural photography, for even food photography, even though you're going to probably have most of the scene in focus, we'll relate it to depth of field here in a second, 
you still want to pick some sort of focus point in your shot. What, you know, let's say you're photographing a beautiful Thanksgiving meal. You want those mashed potatoes or that turkey to be in focus and the rest maybe just slightly out of focus. Such a weird example I'm giving right there. But my point is that even though you think the whole scene should be in focus, you need to really do your due diligence in picking out a focus point. Let's say you're in front of a beautiful mountainscape, a beautiful beach scene, and you do want everything in focus. There is a general rule out there that what you want to do in picking your focus point, even if there is no single subject, you're just trying to capture everything possible in your frame, what you're going to want to do is focus about a third of the way from you to the end of your scene. So let's say you're photographing mountains that might be miles and miles away through a meadow, aim that focus point, again, keeping in the consideration that I always choose a dead middle focus point to help me predict and help direct where that focus is. I'm gonna aim that about a third of the way from me to the mountains. That might be hundreds of yards away from me, but nevertheless, that is a technique I've found, and you'll see this published elsewhere, that it gives you the best focus area, the best depth of field when you're trying to get everything in focus. Okay, so I've talked a little bit about aperture and depth of field. That's a great segue when we're talking about these big sweeping landscapes when we want everything in focus. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about how aperture and depth of field plays a part in your decision making for animal, wildlife, travel, people, cultural, scene photography, mashed potato photography, you name it. Uh, depth of field is an important consideration when we're talking about focus. So I'm not going to go into excruciating detail about what aperture is. We'll save that for a different episode here. But aperture does play a part in how your focus works. So if you are a more advanced photographer and either shoot on manual or aperture priority mode or somehow tell the camera what your aperture should be, you probably have a general idea of this. But essentially, when you have a small f number, like f2.8, f4, that's going to have a shallow depth of field. If you have a big f number, ironically also known as a small aperture, small opening to your aperture, uh, you're going to have a very, very wide depth of field. That means everything's going to be in focus. So again, I'm not going to go into major, major detail here, but generally when you are piggybacking from the last topic of discussion with those sweeping landscapes, you know, you want to shoot a third of the way from you to the end of the scene, you do want that wide depth of field. You want a big F number, something like F8. If your camera can go to F11 and F16, all the better. I generally shoot my landscape scenes on F11 or F16 as long as the light will allow it. Contrast that for animal portraiture, wildlife photography, human photography. I'm going almost the exact other end of the spectrum. I am not photographing with a really wide depth of field. I'm deliberately trying to blur the background with a small F number or shallow depth of field. We're talking about F2.8, if your camera can get that low, or F four, maybe even f5.6, but that's very, very middle ground territory. But what these do is they make uh, quite a bit of difference in how you set up your shot. Depth of field can be one of the most powerful tools to harness in photography, but it's also one of the most complex. Just understanding aperture is not enough to fully make use of the power of depth of field. It actually has a lot to do with the ratio of you to your subject to the background. Three parts, you, the subject, and the background. Let's put an example out there. So I'm on the edge of Bryce Canyon National Park and there are beautiful little scraggly trees and bushes and hawthorn. Um, I think these are beautiful subjects for the foreground. And I think even though Bryce Canyon has these wonderful hoodoos, if you've never Googled it or been there, uh, I highly recommend checking out what Bryce Canyon looks like. It is a photographer's dream. However, if you are just trying to get a general landscape shot, even though those magnificent hoodoos in the background are just extraordinary, having something in the foreground 
provide context to where you are, the distance, the shape, the size. I do recommend picking something out as your main subject closer to you. Here's where the main consideration comes in. If you want that background perfectly in focus, there is not a high enough F number you can possibly get to if you're standing right next to that foreground bush, that foreground subject. If you are shooting with, within two or four feet of that bush and that background, those hoodoos, the landscape are you know five, 600 yards away, even at the highest F number, you will not get everything in focus, period. So for those situations, I either go into it saying, great, I like the background blur. It's a nice pleasing effect, uh, bokeh or bokeh, tomato, tomato as to how you want to uh, pronounce that word, but it's spelled B-O-K-E-H. It's the term for that pleasing background blur that we'll talk a lot about in these episodes of Wild Photographer. Conversely, like most landscape photographers, if you are thinking you want everything in focus, but have a nice foreground element, you actually want to separate yourself from that foreground subject a bit to make the ratio, okay, so follow me here, the ratio of you to the foreground close as possible to the ratio of the foreground element to the background. So you might have to get back quite a ways, maybe like dozens and dozens of yards, maybe even switch to a zoom telephoto if that's your thing. But to really understand it and master it, you've got to experiment. I recommend you go in your backyard, pick up a flower pot, put it in front of a fence or the trees in the background, and start experimenting with different ratios of you to the flower pot to the background. And what you'll find is as you scoot back and make that ratio more similar, that means if the pot to you is 10 feet and the pot to the trees is 10 feet, those trees are gonna be way more in focus than if you're right up next to the flower pot with the trees still 10 feet behind. Think of extremes. Get really close to your subject with a really big distance in the background. Do the exact opposite. Get the pot next to the trees and go way, way far away, and you'll notice that there are extreme differences and how you can get things in focus and how you can intentionally blur them if you wish. Now, here's the fun part is I actually use this to my advantage, not so much in the way I was just describing by getting things in focus, but more the opposite. I will actually get deliberately close to foreground elements or subjects to make that background blurred. It's a wonderful technique. If you don't have a big fancy lens or camera that allows you get, to get down to f1.4 or f2 or f2.8, you can even shoot with uh, a basic smartphone or even higher settings like f5.6 by getting right up close to your subject and allowing a good bit of distance between that subject and that background. So a great example would be, let's say there's a flower on the edge of Bryce Canyon. We're in a Bryce Canyon sort of mood today. And I actually want the background to be completely blurred. I wanna see a little bit of hoodoos with the colors and textures of the yellows and oranges and reds, but I don't really care about showcasing the hoodoos themselves. I'm showcasing the flower. So rather than get way, way far away if I wanted everything in focus, I actually gonna get right up to that flower, probably shoot with either a telephoto or a medium telephoto lens, get really, really close, fill the frame of that flower, and then shoot on a very normal aperture, f4, f5.6, and you're gonna notice that that background in the resulting shot just melts away. Nice bouquet, nice blur, very pleasing portrait kind of aspect to things. Getting away from the landscape kind of stuff, uh, what do we do when we photograph wildlife? Well, the exact same thing. I'm gonna set my aperture on a very, very small number. I want to blur the background out. I don't wanna be photographing the lion as well as all the, the scraggly brush and trees and grass behind it. I wanna really, really draw focus in on the subject itself, on that lion. So 
stepwise process, I'm gonna shoot on the smallest F number possible. Then I'm gonna also try to orient myself. Now with Wildlife of Africa, it's a little bit more challenging because you're usually in a vehicle and the wildlife does what it wants to do. But nevertheless, it's an important lesson because there's a lot of stuff out there, particularly people shots, where you can direct the action. You can move, you can tell the person to move, uh, and it works a lot better if you can get that distance between the subject and the background quite deep while you're relatively close to the subject. So in the case of photographing, let's just keep on the, the African lion theme. If I can be in my safari vehicle and I can wait for the driver to come around to get in front of that lion, maybe it's still far away, it could be 20, 30 yards away, but I'm waiting for the background to be extremely deep. You know, maybe there's a lion sitting in front of some bushes. If we can curve around so that the background is not the bush any longer, but it's the sweeping savanna, instead that savanna is the background, you're going to notice that the blur you can get from really any aperture out there on any camera is going to be so much more pleasing. Uh, I think when it comes to focus, like I said, one of the most important things in photography, you want good focus, you want deliberate focus. It's really under, it's key to understand the thresholds of depth of field. So I do appreciate your patience as you get through this podcast with me. Um, another thing to keep in mind, I've, I've not mentioned this really at all, but you still have to employ the rules of composition as you're getting into focus and depth of field. Remember how I said I will almost always keep that middle focus point, but then I'll move the camera, I'll move the frame, recompose the shot as I'm holding that shutter, that is ultra important because you wanna still adhere to the rules of composition. And just like anything, if you wanna go against anything that I'm saying, whether it's the composition, whether it's the depth of field, you know, these are general rules, general workflows that I employ, but I always recommend that rules are meant to be broken. However, the key thing is, is that when you're breaking a rule, I really recommend that you understand that you are breaking a rule first and foremost, why you're breaking it, and be able to justify it. Think of me as a little voice in the back of your head. When you're breaking one of these rules, and I'm saying, you know, why are you breaking this rule for this landscape shot or this person shot? If you can explain it to yourself, kind of like you're explaining to me, and you're happy with that, absolutely more power to you. If you break the rules, that's fantastic. I encourage it, but always be able to justify it. All right, so that wraps up our episode on focus. I hope it's helpful to you, and we'll see you next time.